Amen. Uh, this morning, I am going to invite you and I to walk into the theological arena and do some wrestling, some jousting. Um, today's text is a diff, difficult one, to say the least, um, a vitally important text nonetheless. I guess this today would be a reminder of while I, while I probably um, preach through intentionally book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to the best of my ability, because it causes us to deal with texts like this. Um, there's no reality. There's there's the reality of Isaiah six one through eight of the vision that he has, and he hears that his unclean lips are atoned for um, ultimately by the sacrifice of Christ, and he sees the glory of God, and we hear that beautiful anthem. But man, verses nine and ten um, are some very very difficult texts, and so today we're going to come to those and. What makes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 so vitally important or significant is the fact that the New Testament continually picks this text up to explain what's happening in that day and time. Jesus utilizes this text. The Apostle Paul is going to utilize this text. So how do we understand and see this is vital for our importance, not only the Old Testament, but also what's happening in the New Testament and indeed our lives. So I invite you today into the arena to put on your gloves and to hear this call to faith. Let's pick up Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. As you make your way there, we're going to see first a call to faith for the herald, which is Isaiah, the one proclaiming. He's the herald and also the hearers. And he said, the Lord speaking to the prophet Isaiah. Again, we're in roughly the year 700 B.C., that time frame that runs um, 740 to 680. Somewhere in that time frame as the prophet Isaiah ministers. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And this word is an important word today. Understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. My assumption is most of us desire a glimpse of God as Isaiah had there in the first eight verses of Isaiah 6, but I'm assuming that most people don't want to sign up for this type of commission. Most of us don't want that type of assignment to teach that class, um, to be responsible for sharing the gospel with people only to see their hearts become harder and harder to the gospel. Mark Lowe, one of our former pastors here, used to often say it's the same sun that softens the butter that hardens the brick. And that's what's happening. The gospel that is going forth is going to soften some hearts, and yet some are going to turn it away and refuse it, hardening their hearts toward the only hope of salvation. And God's telling Isaiah, you're going to preach the gospel and people are not going to listen. I wondered what could even compel a man to go on and preach this type of gospel, to have this type of calling. And the only thing I came away with was what he experienced in Isaiah 6, the grace of God. The fact that he was a man by his own testimony who was unclean. He's a man of unclean lips. And yet the Lord atoned, the Lord paid his sin debt and took it away, ultimately looking unto Christ And so this man, by the grace of God, is transformed. And so even his sin, even his dirtiness, uncleanness, no longer disqualifies him from what God is calling him to do. Listen, in Hebrews 9, there in verse 14 of the New Testament, 
How much more, he says, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. So we're talking about Christ's death on the cross, something the blood of Christ, the life of Christ accomplished for us. He says he offered himself without blemish to God to what? Look what it says it does here. It purifies our conscience. You see, we have the unclean things. We have the unworthy things. You have the things in your memory that you can't seem to get out of there. You can't seem to forget or get over. And I want to tell you, those things do not disqualify you from sharing and living the gospel. Why? Because the blood of Christ has purified your conscience. To do what? Look what it says. He's purified our conscience from dead works to do what? To serve the living God. That's what empowers us. It is the forgiveness of Christ that has purified our lives and our conscience from the things that we wish we had not done, the things we had wished we had not said, the places you wish you had not gone or been or even been involved with, yet nonetheless we have been. But the blood of Christ comes and cleanses our conscience that we can now serve the living God. And so it is with the prophet Isaiah who was once an unclean man and yet ultimately the blood of Christ has cleansed him that he can now and go and proclaim it. The question that Isaiah has is a question I think most of us would have following this type of assignment. Then I said, look what he says here, verse 11 of Isaiah 6. How what? How long, O Lord? Like, God, this is not an easy calling. How long do I got to do this? Like, how long do I have to teach that class when people don't seem to care? How long, God, do I have to stay in this marriage, in this relationship, loving that person that doesn't seem to love me back? How long, Lord, do I have to put up with my parents who don't seem to care about me and don't seem to want to spend time with me. How long, Lord? Right? I mean, we've all asked, maybe not this exact question, but we've all asked questions like that. How long, Lord? And listen to what God says. Until. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. So God is going to bring exile. There's going to come judgment and the forsaken places are many in the midst of a land. He says, listen, I want you to keep on teaching and preaching. I want you to keep being faithful today, beloved. I am compelling you in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ to remain faithful, to hold the course, to not go silently into the darkness, to remain in the light and abide in his power and his strength. The prophet Isaiah is going to do that, but he's going to be mocked and made fun of. Listen to what they're going to say later in the 28th chapter of Isaiah. Beginning in verse 9, to whom will he teach knowledge? This is the religious folks around Isaiah. There's almost as if a swarm has come around him and they're asking these questions. To whom will he teach knowledge? They're going to talk about his teaching for a moment. And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are, look what they say about him, weaned from the milk. Those taken from the breast. They say, you know whose class you can teach, Isaiah? You can teach the preschoolers. That's who you're qualified to teach, Isaiah. You're teaching so good. You're such a great teacher. You know who will let you teach? The kids. Why? Why? Why why are they saying this about Isaiah? Look what it says here. Verse 10. I think this is significant. Verse 10 of Isaiah 28. For. Again, they're telling you why. For it is precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. There a little. What they're mocking Isaiah for is the fact that he is 
teaching literally little by little, precept by precept. It's as if he's working through God's Word and what God's given him, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, little by little. And what's interesting about Isaiah is, and you and I might think of this, is that if God had given us such a commission to go and proclaim the gospel to people who are only going to harden their heart to the gospel, then we might be tempted to go like way over their heads or get really angry or really frustrated or try to make it really complex. But in fact, Isaiah doesn't do that. He just keeps returning to Jesus Christ ultimately and Him crucified. That's what I want to compel you to do. I've been doing a lot of self-examination of my own life and preaching, asking questions like, God, why am I not seeing more people saved as I'm preaching the gospel? God, why am I not seeing more people saved as I'm sharing and living the gospel? And God's continually just invited me to come back and just more than ever drive a stake in the cross of Jesus Christ and give myself as short a leash as possible to remain, keep preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified And doing my best to make it as clear and as simple and as straightforward as I can. And that's what they're mocking the prophet Isaiah for. It's, um, again, I think we've all been there, haven't we? Moments when you've been tempted to give up or throw in the towel or you're done with that. And yet the example of the prophet Isaiah is just to keep at it little by little, precept by precept, line by line. Just remain faithful. Keep sharing the gospel, keep living the gospel at your work. Even if people don't, they seem to ignore you now, they walk past you, they no longer talk to you at break. If the family member that once seemed open to the gospel now seems to ignore you at Thanksgiving or other times when you're around, the temptation is it is a hard thing to keep sharing and living the gospel. And Isaiah just shows us, keep the course. Keep the faith. Why? Because I think this is one you're going to grow to love as we walk through the book of Isaiah. Is that despite all of the difficulty and hard moments, remember I said it, it, gets, it goes from really worse, right? I know that's not good English, but really worse to a lot better. That's the trend of the book. But in the midst of so many difficult moments, Isaiah pauses and gives us hope. And listen to this, verse 13, as he closes this out. And though a tenth remain in it, remember the judgment of God was coming, right? People are exiled, the houses are going to be empty, lands are going to be bare, all these things. He says, though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it has failed. And look what he says here about this stump. He says, this stump is in fact the holy seed is its stump. Now we jump forward to Isaiah 11 and 1, you see on the screen. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of who? Of Jesse. And who ultimately came from the line of Jesse? King David. David will come, the one from the line of David will come, right? David's already been, but there's already come, there's one coming, a messianic figure. Look what it says, a branch from his roots shall do what? Bear fruit. It says, listen, you may, your situation may seem hopeless. It may seem like there's only a stump left. But he says, I want you to know what God's going to do with that stump. Right? Some of you see yourselves that way. You think you are stumped. Your life is a has-been. You're a passed over. Your life has already been cut down, burned, destroyed. It is done and cast aside. And God says, you don't know what I can do with that stump. By the power of Jesus Christ, there is but a holy seed that will begin to bear fruit. And God can do it in your life, beloved. Your heart may be really cold today to the gospel. But listen, it does not have to stay that way. The day the text will compel you and I, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Well, we move from there to not only a call to faith for, remember, the herald and the hearers. but There's now a call to faith for the king and ultimately the people. As we transition into chapter 7. 
He says, in the day of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then listen to what's going to happen here. Rezin is going to show up, and Rezin is the king of where? Syria. And we have Pekah, who is also the son of Ramalia, who's the king of where? Israel. And guess what they're going to show up to do? They're going to come to Jerusalem, right, which is where Ahaz is ruling, right? He's the king of, of, of Judah. He's, he's there in Jerusalem. That's the capital of Judah, so you get a little geography. He says, listen, what they're going to do, they're going to come and they're going to desire to wage war against it. But it says they could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, Ephraim is just another word for the northern tribe of Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. What's happening is the, the ruthless nation of the Assyrians is coming to make greater. Um, they're expanding their territory, their kingdom. And who lies in their crosshairs is the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and also Syria. And so Israel is saying to Syria, we've got to come together it's the only way we can fight off these guys. And guess what? We also need Judah with us, the southern kingdom, to help us fight because Assyria is really tough. And what is happening here is, is that the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz and telling him, don't make a deal with those guys. Don't make a deal with them. And you notice, look at them. They're shaking, right? The people are shaking. The king is shaking. Everybody's terrified. Now, listen, your enemy may not be Syria. It may not be the northern kingdom. But it might be cancer. It might be your finances. It might be the next job change or the family situation in which you're in. And all of us are called just like King Ahaz and the people to hold the faith. Doesn't mean it's easy. Listen, they, look, they're, they're shaking like the trees, right? They're shaking like the trees because of the realization of what's coming against them. And watch what happens here. Look what Isaiah tells him. And the Lord says to Isaiah, Father, jump with me verse 4 of Isaiah 7. And say to him, look at the command is told him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps or firebrands. Fire he says, listen, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Right, we might hear from behind this text, Psalm 50, 46 and 10, Be still and know what? That I am God. Do you know that 46 and 10 doesn't, or yeah, 46 and 10 doesn't finish there. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's saying, listen, I know that it's difficult in the moment in life and situation that you are in. But listen, there are times, beloved, when God calls us to play quiet as a mouse. There are times when God says, just be still and know that I am God. I know the enemy rages. I know your family situation. I see your finances. I know what's coming on that next health report. I know everything that you're up against. But I'm just going to compel you, even though you're shaking. Be careful. Be quiet. Don't fear. Don't let your heart be faint. And guess what happens here? It's a beautiful moment. Of something that I think is possible Isaiah was trying to get at. Look what he says here. He says, I want you to know who's coming. It's a son of Ramalia. And guess what? He says, they want to go up against Judah. They want to terrify you there, verse 6. And let us conquer it for ourselves. And they're going to set up Tabael, right, as the king in the midst of it. Notice they call him again the son of Tabael. And what's interesting here, again, this usage of son of Ramalia, son of Tabael as king, is a reminder is, hey, listen, Ahaz, whose son are you? You're a son of David, right? David, the rightful king. 
David, the one that God promised that you would rule and reign and he would always have one sitting on his throne. Aren't you of his line? In the same way, in the midst of your and my difficult seasons, might God just be calling you to remember your identity? Whose child are you anyway? You've been singing about how good of a father I am. Whose child are you? Might you remember your identity as a child of Christ? Not forgetting whose son or whose daughter are you. Listen, listen, I want you to understand and remember whose you are. Wow, look what he says here. Watch. Thus says the Lord God, verse 7. He says, listen, I want you to remember the word of God. He says, listen, guys, it's not even going to come to pass. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Isn't it amazing? Many of the things we worry about never come to pass. Many of the things that we stress and worry over never even come to pass. Jump with me verse 9 here. He says, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. And then this statement here, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be what? You won't be firm at all. He says, Ahaz, the temptation right now is for you to put your faith in works. Military strength, alliances, finances, power, ability to broker a deal. I mean, that's the same temptation you and I have, isn't it? Like to go everywhere else to like get peace in our life. And listen, he says, I want you guys to know if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Today, listen, Ahaz, do not put your trust in other things or other people, but put your trust wholly in God. Might the church also hear those words and remember, if we are not firm in faith, we will not be firm at all. Well, the text from Isaiah 6, specifically verse 9 and 10, will again find its way in the New Testament. And there's some tough treading. So again, I'm inviting you into the ring, but I want you to know this is going to be difficult today. And the temptation is going to be when you get hit with a shot, you're going to want to retreat to your theological corner. I want to encourage you today just to be still. In the midst of this ring, and let's let God speak and do and do our best to understand. So look what happens here. A call to faith for the people of Jesus' day. We're going to look at Matthew 13. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn there already. Then we'll jump to John 12, and then we'll finish out in the book of Acts. But as you make your way to Matthew 13, Jesus has just finished the parable of the sower. And you can kind of see the imagery there. And I don't know how much you know about it. If you don't, you can, you can look back on it um, But Jesus has just finished it. And Jesus is going to use the parable of the sower between when he uses that parable, like sharing it, and when he explains it to what it means to his disciples. In the midst of it, he utilizes Isaiah 6. And so it's significant for our understanding of what's being said here in Isaiah 6 and this call to faith. Verse 10 of Matthew 13, the disciples came to him and said this question, Why? Why do you speak to them in parables? Like, Jesus, why do you always go around speaking in parables? He says, verse 13, this is why, right? You want to know why? This is why I speak to them in parables. Because, look what he says here, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We're like, hey, that sounds a lot like Isaiah 6. Listen to what happens next. Indeed, in their case, notice what he says here, the prophecy of Isaiah is what? It's fulfilled. I can go a long time here on reminder that some of the texts that you read in the Old Testament, there is an already but not yet fulfillment. This is a reminder of that. 
that there's fulfillment in Isaiah's day as he preaches and teaches the gospel as people reject him. But now as Jesus comes there, right, some roughly 700 years later on the scene, he says, listen, I want you to know the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, you will indeed hear but never understand. That is crucial to your understanding of what's going to happen again. They're hearing, but they never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart, look what it says, has grown dull. If you remember back to Isaiah 6, that was exactly his commission, that he was proclaiming the gospel to make the people's heart hardened. And Jesus says that fulfillment's come. Do you see it, beloved? I don't know if you recognize or not, but every time that you're hearing God's word, you're either being softened and moved to obedience and repentance and conforming your life to Christ, or you're stepping further and further away. There is no in-between. Don't be deceived. Every time you hear the gospel, you are either coming more into conformity to the will and plan of God in Jesus Christ, or you're stepping further and further, closing your ears, blinding your eyes, and closing up your heart to the only hope of your salvation. And Jesus says further, verse 15, This people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And notice what he says they have done. With the eyes, what, what they have closed. He says they've closed them. They've hardened their hearts. They are stepping away from God. Lest what? They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. She says the prophecy of Isaiah's day stands true here and now. My parables, he says, reveals people's hearts. Every time you hear the gospel, your heart is being revealed. Either you shun this book and shun the truth of the gospel or you cry out, my Lord and my God, change me. Have mercy upon me. So Jesus now moves and the disciples again have asked him to explain the parable of the sower. And so we're going to look at just for a moment at the text here of what Jesus does. Verse 19 of Matthew 13. When anyone, notice what it says. Again, you're going to see this simple refrain. They hear the word. They hear the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Again, there's a lot. They're hearing but not understanding. The evil one, which is who? Satan comes and notice what he does. He snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Again, so we have the path identified, right? And we recognize that what was heard is now snatched away. Look further with me, verse 20. As what was sown on the rocky ground, let's explain that. This is the one who, again, hears the word. So again, you're going to hear this refrain in all of them. And immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. It means their lifestyle contradicts or comes to a meeting with God's word. And they choose their lifestyle over God's word. Immediately, notice what it says here. They fall away. Further, verse 22, as what was sown among the thorns, that is one who, again, hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves what? Unfruitful. 
So again, the word is heard, but it's snatched away. The word is heard, but they later fall away. The word is heard, and yet it proves unfruitful. The reason why I wanted to come to this text in Matthew 13 to explain Isaiah 6 is my fear is we might hear Isaiah 6 and assume that must mean people that never, ever want anything to do with God. No, that's not the case at all. This is people that seemingly hear. They may come forward and profess Christ. They may be a part of the church for a while, but they do not abide and produce fruit. And that's why this is so pertinent to us. We all need to examine our own souls this morning. Look further with me, if you would. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil. So now we have the fourth illustration he's going to describe. As what was sown on good soil. This is the one again. Notice the similarity. They hear the word and finally someone understands it. How, Blake, do I know if I've heard this word and understood it? Notice what Jesus says. He indeed does what? Bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. Every believer here today needs to ask themselves, are you bearing fruit? Every single person here today needs to ask themselves, are you bearing fruit? The text is going to get tougher. So again, I'm going to invite you back out to the ring. I know it's tough. Jesus utilizes this text again in John chapter 12. Look with me, Wood. I know time's pressing, so I'm going to pick up the paces. Verse 38 of John 12. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Again, we have the prophet Isaiah introduced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says it might be fulfilled. Again, we're talking about the fulfillment. Now he's going to cite Isaiah 53, 1 here. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, now listen, look at what he says here. This is challenging, okay? This is, this is difficult. I looked in every translation I could find looking for something that was softer, easier to say. And maybe you have it in yours, but I couldn't find one. Therefore, they could, what? Not believe. I believe, I, listen, I'm with you. I don't want to say it loud either. This is tough. Therefore, Jesus himself says they could not believe. Why, Jesus, are you even saying that for? Guess what he does? He returns back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. That's what he says. Again, this this is hard, man. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. In the midst of John chapter 12, we're going to look at just a few things here. Jesus has been preaching and teaching and the temptation might be for his disciples and for us, the readers of the gospel of John, to assume that somehow Jesus' mission and purpose is failing. And Jesus and John... And Matthew and Mark 4.12 and Luke even reiterates this. The Apostle Paul is going to come to it in a moment. They all hearken back to Isaiah 6 to remind us God's mission and plan is not failing despite people refusing the gospel. And that might be your feeling too. God, you're failing because I don't see these people being saved. Or God, I feel like it. He says, I want you to know God's plan and purpose is coming about. And you say, Blake, why there does it even say, why would you say they could not believe? Does that mean that they're not even offered the opportunity? Whoa, whoa, watch this, watch this. Jump back with me, verses 35 through 37. What precedes this is very significant. Watch this. 
So Jesus said to them, verse 35, again, we were just hit the rewind on your DVR just real quickly. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while. Look what he compels them to do. Walk while you have the light. So literally walk in the light, lest what? Darkness overtake you. Jesus warns, do not refuse the gospel when you hear it. He's compelling those that are around him. Do not refuse the good news. Walk in the light, because if you refuse the light, you're going to soon find yourself walking in the darkness. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Look what he says again, verse 36. While you have, and notice he's reiterating that, while you have the light. Look what he tells them to do here. Now, what are they to do with the light this time? Believe. Believe that you may become sons of light. He's right there to the people that are refusing him, and yet he's still offering the gospel. And the compelling thing is this. It is now. It is the day. Listen, do not refuse the gospel. While you have the light, he says, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So, again, we've heard several things. But look what happens here. I think this is one that's maybe often used by folks as we come to verse 37. Though he had done so many signs, we have many signs. Before them, they still, what, did not believe. Some of you are after that. You are waiting for some major sign. If God will just do this in the sky, if he'll just cause this thing to happen, if he'll just change this scenario, if he'll just change this situation, God, if you will just do that, then I'll do this. And the testimony of the gospel is that's not the case at all. John chapter 11, they had just seen Lazarus raised from the dead, and yet they're still not believing that he's the Messiah. I don't know about you, but can you imagine if you walked in the funeral home today and the person you were going to see there in the casket is actually raised up around talking to everyone? You'd be like, who did that? They've just seen all of these many signs and yet they're still refusing the gospel. Jesus is telling us, listen, the people of his day were just like the people of Isaiah's day. They don't want to hear the truth. That we are dirty and unclean and yet God still loves us. Even in the midst of your sin, Romans 5 and 8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still what? Sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Let that captivate your heart. It's not because you started coming to church now or you've cleaned up your life or you're being nicer to your spouse or you're being more obedient to your parents. Now somehow God will take you in or accept you. Not at all. There's no good work that you can do to make yourself fit to come before the king. The good news of Christianity is not you working yourself to God. It's God coming to you. That's what transforms it. It's that God loves you in the midst of your sin. Again, this is tough theological sledding. I'm with you. We've got to deal with it. Nonetheless, listen to Jesus' words. Believe in me. Walk in the light. Don't refuse. So stop being concerned on all the things maybe you can't understand or explain in the text and just be obedient and respond to the gospel. So where does this leave us? So let's close with this. It's a call to faith for us again. One more time, I invite you, ding, the bell hits. Come on, back out. Let's go, let's go. Now we have the Apostle Paul, Acts 28. This is as he, as he closes out his, his time here at Rome. Disagreeing, Paul has just preached, and guess what happens? People are disagreeing, just like they were with Jesus, just like with Isaiah. So don't be surprised if you preach or teach or you witness or share the gospel and people disagree with you. 
disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. And notice this is a significant one. The Holy Spirit was right in saying, so the Holy Spirit saying something to your fathers. And notice who the Holy Spirit was speaking through. Who's he speaking through? Isaiah. And guess what he says? Unless today you hear Isaiah 6 and think that's not New Testament, that's not important, I don't need that. I would counter that all Scripture is God-breathed, Old Testament to New Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed. But notice what he says. He says the Spirit was speaking through Isaiah, and then he says this, Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Again, he says, man, you guys have closed your eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then with the statement, verse 28. Therefore, and no matter what theological corner you have traveled to, when you've heard this text trying to explain and make some sense of it, here's something that you're going to rejoice in. Therefore, verse 28 in response to the fact that Jewish people are rejecting the gospel of the coming Messiah, their long-awaited Savior. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, has been sent. The gospel is still going forth, and it's going to who? The Gentiles, and they will what? They will listen. Have you? The rejection of the gospel by the Jewish people did not mean that God's plan had failed. It was just part of God working his masterful plan that will not understand. There is absolute human responsibility. At the same time, God's sovereignty, you are seeing man's free will, God's sovereignty clash in the ring. And he says, I want you to recognize that this fact that you have closed yourself off to God's word. God's word is still going forward and it's going to the Gentiles and they will listen and respond. And then Paul says this, and I want to throw four things at you in closing. Verse 30 of Acts 28 that I think is absolutely pertinent to respond to this text. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and Paul welcomed who? All. Paul welcomed all. I want to show the text, and then I want to say, again, four things I think are significant today you've got to leave with. Welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. With all boldness and without hindrance. So what did Paul do? Paul welcomed all. Paul didn't go around as, I know we've got several uh, folks that work with, whether conservation or soil samplers. Paul did not go around sampling souls and saying, well, you might listen to the gospel and you might listen to the gospel and your eyes look like they're closed. And, but sir, yours look like they might be ears open. I'm going to share with you. No, Paul shared the gospel and shared the seed wherever he went. Beloved, that is our call. Share the gospel with anyone and everyone. That's the example of Paul. He's just cited Isaiah 6. And we might think that that means he's going to close himself off. Even the Jewish people that he says, listen, you guys are missing it. He still welcomes them. He still shares the gospel with everyone. Secondly is this. He kept proclaiming, verse 31, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that your family, friends, co-workers, whomever are rejecting the gospel, don't stop sharing it. Keep sharing the gospel, beloved. Keep sharing. Third, today's text was continually clear. Second Corinthians 6 and 2 is true. Today is the day of salvation. Now is what? 
Now's the appointed time. Jesus says, don't put it off. Paul is saying, don't put it off. Isaiah is saying, don't put it off. Do not reject what God is calling you to do in response to the word today. Put your faith and trust in him. Now is the time. Refuse him not. And fourthly is this, in light of Isaiah 6 and Jesus' connection it to the parable of the different soils, every believer here must examine their life, as I said earlier, and say, God, is there fruit? If not, beloved, what do you do? It's the thing we've been sharing. Repent and believe. Repent and turn back to the gospel. This right here is not just for people that don't know about Jesus. This is my life. This is your life. In the midst of my sin and brokenness and the moments when I don't get it right, the gospel calls me to continually repent and believe, to return back, say, God, forgive me. God, have mercy upon me. It is the good news of the gospel is that God is forgiving and merciful and gracious. So today, as you hear the gospel, refuse it not. Turn not your ears off. Close not your eyes. Respond to this gospel. Put your faith and trust in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and 12, and that's where I'll leave. The apostles tell us in Acts 4, verse 12, that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to all people by which they must be what? Must be saved. There's no other name. Will you today put your faith and trust in Christ? Will you repent and believe upon the name of Jesus Christ? Pray with me. Father, today has been tough. I pray if anything I have shared is not in line with your truth. Father, I pray that you would show that. But I pray also, God, that you would reveal it, especially to your people. Father, I thank you that your word says that you have given us the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth. You said that in First John that we have received the anointing of the Spirit who guards us, who directs our minds. And so, Lord, I pray today that the ultimate teacher is not ever me, but it's ultimately your Spirit. Father, I pray today that everything that's been said and done is in honor of Jesus Christ. It glorifies Him. It points to His truth, even if it's tough for us to understand or comprehend. But, Father, I pray most of all now that your people would not refuse it. I pray that there will be obedient hearts today to what God is calling them to do. For areas in their life of sin and things that do not honor and reflect you, I pray your people, God, would bear fruit by just repenting and believing and crying out to you for mercy and grace. For any of those that are apart from you, I pray today that they've heard. I pray today that they've seen that there is a God who loves them despite their sin. There's a God who is merciful and gracious and who calls them to come and walk in the light, to believe in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray today that people would place their faith and trust in you. All glory be to Christ. In his name I pray, amen.